Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So this week, we are beginning a brand new church year. Hooray! Happy New Year! We did it! (laughs) So, for the season of Advent, we are going to be looking at some beloved Advent hymns. And, um, maybe just like for folks who don't necessarily all speak church nerd, uh, a reminder, we three do speak church nerd, and so we are used to speaking about uh, Advent as a thing. It's a season that uh, many in the church count off as four weeks. There's a minority report that there should be seven weeks, uh, but weeks that are aiming toward looking toward the coming of Christ, uh, both the coming of Christ in the Bethlehem story in, in the manger, but also Christ coming again in glory and the making of all things new. So so a quick note on Advent hymns. These are the hymns that your pastor insists on singing in the month of December that are not Christmas hymns. Right. So like, th- like sometimes people's complaint about Christmas music is they play too many Christmas carols too early and they don't want them uh, because it's too commercialized. Pastors have a different complaint. It's we don't want to sing the Christmas songs yet because it's Advent, right? (laughs) So we've got two reasons of not wanting to have the Christmas music yet. In in the Methodist Church, we just don't care. We play it from Thanksgiving forward. So, I mean... (laughs) Gotcha. So so you all sing A Little Town of Bethlehem and Silent Night on, like, in early December? Possibly. (gasps) Oh my goodness, that I hurts, know. that hurts my I know, heart. that hurts the liturgical... When, when do you sing Mariah Carey's classic, All I Want for Christmas is You? Never. <laughs> that never shows up? <laughs> Ever. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, that's even more sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wonderful. <laughs> clearly, clearly there's different uh, kinds of church practice here. But as a season, there there's this, this way of counting off weeks, looking ahead to Christ's coming. Some observe that season very rigorously with bounds of what songs we do and don't sing. And at the very least, it's worth noting that there are hymns and songs of the faith, some that stretch like a thousand years back, um, that help hold on to that, those themes of expectation and waiting rather than we're already at the point of Jesus is born. So for those who, who observe or spend the time focusing on uh, Advent as a season, especially in their music life, there's sort of this like delayed gratification. We're not there yet and living in the waiting kind of a thing. So um, I wanted to uh, highlight a couple, and we're going to take in the coming weeks uh, each episode, each of us is going to get a uh, chance to share some of our favorite Advent songs. Um, and again, this might not be these might not be songs that are as well known because they aren't the O Come O Come All O Come O Come Ye Faithful. Or, oh, I'm sorry, O Come All Ye Faithful. Or um, there's no jingle. O Come O Come is an yeah. Advent we'll get song. there. We'll get there, and there will be no jingle bells. Um, but. Uh, one that I wanted to start off with is uh, one that's called uh, Comfort, Comfort, Now My People. The text is attributed to uh, Johann G. Oliarius, who lived in the 1600s. Um, and like many, many hymns written by people who spoke German, we end up with them in English translation, so you might find different translations of it. And this text, uh, the reason I, I, I chose this text that I wanted to share with all of you, um, the, the opening verse, it goes, Comfort, comfort now my people, tell of peace, so says our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning under sorrow's load. Um, and then the, 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 the opening verse is very, very much borrowed from the opening lines of Isaiah 40, this, this uh, turn that happens in the book of Isaiah that seems now to be addressing people who are living with exile and the hope that there might be a homecoming, that there might be a, a restoration of hopes and of fortunes. Um, 
And so a lot of this hymn text is drawn from um, phrases and ideas and images that come out of those uh, late chapters in the book of Isaiah that begin sort of this idea of hope on the other side of exile. Um, and my favorite, favorite part of um, this uh, of this hymn um, is the, the last part of the, of the first verse. The, the line goes, uh, To God's people now proclaim that God's pardon waits for them. Tell them that their war is over. God will reign in peace forever. There's this image uh, that you get in Isaiah often of this, this future day when uh, nations will be able to beat their swords in the plowshares and they won't learn war anymore uh, and where the violence is over and there's finally peace at last. And even, even to the point of uh, the lions and lambs and wolves and uh, kids all lying down together uh, in peace. Um, the other thing that um, I think about every time I hear this uh, him is it reminds me of a dear old saint I knew years and years ago. His name was Bob. Bob had fought in uh, the Second World War, and he was part of an anti-tank unit uh, in northern Italy in the late days of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he used to tell the story, um, they had been in a rather remote part up in the mountains and hills, uh, and from a distance they would usually be able to hear what was going on in the town around them. If there, if there was a lot of noise, if there was a lot of traffic, whatever, and they'd also be listening on the radio for what you know what the, the uh, opposition, what the enemy was doing, or, or whether there was uh, news coming out of the, the local towns around. And he used to tell a story that there was a point when everything went silent and there weren't they, they weren't hearing anything on the radio anymore and they weren't getting any uh, further commands or updates from uh, I don't know from their their uh, higher ups in the chain of command. So they sent some people in some of the guys from their unit into the village to find out what was going on and the war had ended and they were just finding out about. It. So like they've been mm-hmm. so removed, like oh the war is over and it happened and now you're. You're free. You don't have to keep fighting anymore. It's, it's, we're done. The, we, the victory has been won. Um, but I, I like that notion of like just like hearing the announcement: the war is over, um, and that it, it wasn't that like ah, we finally killed one more person. That finally did. But like I was, I was looking the other way, and the, the, the victory is already won. Um, and, and there's there's just something to me about that idea that God's the one who wins the the victory, and that it, this is this isn't a matter of if we pray hard enough, or you think hard enough, or you clap hard enough, Tinkerbell will come back to life. It's it's not like that. It's it's instead that the, finally our war is over, um, and this this news that that uh, the, the the fighting is done. I heard a similar story um, with a veteran of, I think, World War II. Mm -hmm. And it was a Japanese soldier accidentally got left behind in... um, and I, in one of the areas, like, I don't even remember where it was, but it was an island. And um, he got left behind, and he never heard the news mm. that the war had ended. And it wasn't until the 1980s, the 1990s, that finally a Japanese general or somebody had to come in and find him and tell him, you're done, the war has been over, you can come home now. Mm. Um like, he had just been kind of systematically terrorizing whatever village he mm. was near, mm. thinking all this time that the war was still going on and he still had to fight it. Mm. And it was decades of him yeah. living in this solitude, fighting this enemy that wasn't fighting back and yeah. just yeah. being alone. Yeah. And so for him, the good news was, finally, 
I get to go home. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me, too, in American history of the story behind the holiday recognized as Juneteenth, in, uh, especially in the American South and in, in um, uh, African-American community. The, the story is that um, even though the war itself uh, ended in earlier in 1865 and the Emancipation Proclamation had been, what, 1863, in the middle mm-hmm. of the war, that Lincoln's declaration was any slaves held in the Confederate States were freed, um, the news didn't arrive in Texas until June 19th, 1865. And so the celebration in the African-American community on what's now remembered as Juneteenth is that even though it had, like the, the declaration had happened years before, news hadn't reached them that not only was the war over, but that you were free, that you were finally free. I, I like that. There's something important to me about that idea that the declaration has happened, but now it's getting to you, and now you're, you're free. You can, not only can you lay down your weapons, but you're finally free. And that idea of homecoming that you're talking about too, Sarah, I think is is all caught up in there. And how how appropriate that is for Isaiah 40. Exactly. Right? That the comfort that Isaiah is telling God's people is that, yes, you are being sent out to exile, but this isn't forever. Right. Mm-hmm. That right. you will be coming home. Right. I, I think one of the things I like about as a season uh, in, in Advent is that, at least in our tradition, we often get to hear a lot of those voices from the prophets that while they do have a sort of a, a, an awareness of there's something further coming that we call the Messiah, the, the prophets also often have to deal with this idea of exile and homecoming. And as, as a, a Jesus person, as a Christian, like so often we're so quick to jump to, let's talk about the Jesus prediction, or let's talk about what Jesus has said. Good, I'm pro-Jesus. But there's so much richness, even just mm-hmm. in the prophets themselves, in the idea of if you've been carried away from your homeland, or if you've been left behind when Babylon comes rolling through, um, and you're aching for this idea of homecoming, that sense of feeling lost, like you're not in, in the place that you belong, and that maybe that's really what homecoming and the, the idea of return from exile is all about, is this sense of like finally arriving in a place and knowing that you really belong, um, that the, the, the scriptures speak to that in a really, really powerful way that we often forget about or we're so quick to jump to, oh, well, it's about going up to heaven. And like the Old Testament doesn't think in those terms. It's more about return from exile. And when you've been carried away from home, the idea that there can be a homecoming again um, and that God will start things over new. And that that's that's powerful, and that, that yeah, that the fighting is done. That like we don't have to we don't have to keep playing the same old games of trying to fight off one empire after another. Finally, there will come a day when the when the the war is over. To to me, that seems especially important as a as a word to hear and to sing um, in this era in the in the year in which we live, um, because we have been fighting a war in, at least in Afghanistan, since 2001, the longest war, at least chronologically speaking, that, that we have uh, fought in our nation's history, even though um, there have been other wars that had more lives lost um, and maybe uh, felt like a bigger drain on the national consciousness. We have this way of sort of forgetting about wars and putting them on the back burner in this culture now. But that, like, that means for anybody up through high school, uh, even to high school graduates, all their lives long, we have been at war. Mm-hmm. One, in one particular war, not just a, even a bunch of wars glommed together, mm-hmm. but in one particular war it's been going on. Um, and there's something to me about like what happens when you just sort of grow up with that's what normal's like. They we're always at war with somebody. Um, and that there's this hope from the scriptures, and then that a hymn writer comes along and says, that's worth holding up, the promise that this isn't forever, that war doesn't last forever, um, and that's, that's not supposed to last forever, that God's vision for us is not that there's eternal fighting, but there, there's, there's peace at last.
And not just like physical war, but I think just like the political circumstances that we find ourselves in, how divided we yeah, are yeah, as a nation. I mean, that's a different yeah. type of war, which we often don't, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. sometimes we do call it war, but I mean, it's just such a different um, mentality and, and ideology surrounding all that. And to know that eventually, someday, all those things that divide us, yeah. no matter what it might, what it, whether it be politics or race or, or um, religion, all, all that stuff will eventually be set aside and we will come together as one people. It, the thing I, I find so um, provocative and comforting at the same time about that, that the way you're talking and that, that what comes out of Isaiah's imagery of the peaceable kingdom is that there's still difference. That it, like mm-hmm. in the, the image, there's like, there's wolves and lambs and lions and leopards and bears and cows all together. That somehow it's not like that God says, all right, well, the problem is we're, we're not going to let wolves in anymore. They're just too dangerous. But somehow something has changed them and mm-hmm. us so that like wolves and lambs can be different. They can be different species even and be together and in, the, in this new community. That difference doesn't necessarily have to mean scary and that other doesn't mm-hmm. have to mean enemy. Um, and, and like I'm not I'm not sure we're ready for that kind of conversation day by day, but um, that to me that that's a piece that the prophets keep holding up. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess one of the things I like about this season, uh, and for for all the variety of the different songs, when we do let these sort of intentionally Advent voices be spoken, is it lets our hope be deeper than just we're trying to get to the baby in the manger because that's not really the end of the story. That's like mm-hmm. okay, what does the baby in the manger accomplish or do? And that so much of what the the, the voices from the prophets, like like in this hymn, do sort of tell us what it is, what are we hoping for when the Savior mm-hmm. comes? What is, what is it that he actually does? And part of the hope is it's about a whole new kind of creation where we aren't constantly killing each other or a new kind of creation where I don't have to be afraid of the other just because they're other and that finally there will come a day when the war is over. Well, Advent, just like Lent, both force us to deal with that tension and, and the mm-hmm. hardships and realizing, you know, um, Advent, yeah, I mean, we're looking forward to the baby in the manger, but we have to realize that there was a reason that baby had to come in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we screwed up along the way. We messed up the world so badly <laughs> that God had to send his only son. And then, you know, and Lent does the same thing. Like, we, you know, we want to skip over Lent and go straight to Easter, but then mm-hmm. we forget about Good Friday. Yeah. And so I, that's what I like about these seasons and yeah. these songs, because they remind us of, you know, those hardships along the way, you know, life as a Christian is not always sunshine and roses and rainbows. Right. And like, in, the, in, in some ways, uh, the Christian life is challenging on its own because following Jesus is difficult. In some ways, it's challenging to be a Christian because we're called to enter in the places of other people's mm-hmm. suffering, too. So any any picture of the Christian faith that is, I follow Jesus so I get spared the difficult stuff in life completely misses the point, yeah. right? Um so, so, okay, there's, there's the first hymn I wanted to share. It's called Comfort, Comfort, Now My People. The second one that I wanted to share that is my favorite Advent hymn, as much for the melody, but I will not dare to sing it, um, <laughs> as, as for the text, um, is Philip Nikolai's uh, Wake, Awake, For Night Is Flying. Um, and side note, Johann Sebastian Bach wrote a beautiful trio uh, that uh, involves the same melody, too. Um, the, the, one of the things I like about this text is um, it's about... 450 or almost 500 years old. Um, and there's something that I find really cool about singing old hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I don't like the melodies they're paired with because they sound, you can tell they're from an earlier era where just musical sensibilities were different. And sometimes I don't like the sound of Gregorian chant or, you know, a, a medieval sort of thing or the isometric rhythms and things. Um, 
But one of the things I really do like is the idea of thinking we're invited to join in a song that followers of Jesus have been singing for sometimes centuries. You know, uh-huh. we, we sometimes mm-hmm. imagine that only in our era have we really come up with really good songs. You know, or uh, you know, it, it's really it's really only a relevant song that's about you know ten years old or less. And instead, there's something powerful about considering people hundreds and hundreds of years ago were singing these same words uh, and that were connected to them as well. So this, this hymn um, is riffing on the, the imagery you get in a lot of Jesus' parables about the need for watchfulness. So sometimes uh, it's like the parable of the bridesmaids, you know, who stay awake waiting for the bridegroom uh, and they keep their lamps, uh, or there's the, the recurring image Jesus offers in all three of the synoptic gospels uh, about that uh, the coming of the Lord will be like a thief in the night, and you, know, you, you, need, you need to be watchful uh, so you don't miss it. Um, and if you if the owner of the house knew when the thief would have come in, he wouldn't have allowed his house get broken into. Um, I want to hold that thought because I want to come back to it because even that I'm not sure we think we pay attention to how subversive an image that is that Jesus casts himself as the thief. <laughs> um, but so the, the, the opening uh, verse of this hymn, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying, in one translation, this is Catherine Winkworth's translation, goes like this, Wake, awake, for night is flying. The watchmen on the heights are crying. Awake, Jerusalem, at last. Midnight hears the welcome voices, and at the thrilling cry rejoices, Come forth, you maidens, night is past. The bridegroom comes, awake, your lamps with gladness take. Alleluia, prepare yourselves to meet the Lord, whose light has stirred the waiting guard. So it's very much that imagery of the bridesmaids and that parable Jesus tells about keeping your lamps trimmed and sort of being ready for the coming of Jesus. Um, and I, the, the thing that I, I like about that is um, there's, there's clearly a hopefulness that, that um, sometimes people who, who spend the time observing Advent we can make it sound like it's dour. Like, you have to be sad for long enough so that you can be happy at Christmas. Sort of like Lent does that, Mm -hmm. oh, you have to be dour and feel guilty for all so you can have Easter. And I think that kind of really mischaracterizes that there's joy, but it's like the joy of anticipation. It's the joy of of even delayed gratification, of hopefulness, and that it's always future-oriented, waiting toward this thing that is coming and living in light of it now. I think that's what I... I, um, When I think about what this season, what Advent is all about, it's about what it's like to live the present moment in light of a promised future. So uh, not just the celebration of Christmas that's coming, but the idea that at, in some, at some point in the future, God makes all things new. How do I begin to live now in light of that promised future, even if that feels out of step right now, if even if other people around sort of uh, are saying, no, no, it's business as usual, that the people of God are called to sort of live in anticipation of that future moment. Um, and that, that that brings me back to that imagery of Jesus as the thief, um, Jesus as the as the thief in the night. There's there's a line. I think it's a, a quote of Barbara Brown Taylor's, and she says something like, um, "Considering Jesus as the thief, it reminds us that um, if we knew when Jesus was coming, we wouldn't let him in." Uh, like there, there's something about that, like, "Huh? That that's because that's how the thief metaphor works, right? If if you knew when the thief was coming, you wouldn't let him in." And there's something honest about like. Yeah, we're kind of like stubborn, sinful people who, if, when Jesus shows up at the door, we have this way of, nope, Jesus, we don't have room for you. Um, and that Jesus has to sneak in because our hearts are hardened and guarded, and we wouldn't let him in. And Jesus has this sneaky way of not saying, not taking no for an answer. Nope, I'm going to break in. Um, uh, and if Jesus is the one who doesn't just sort of politely knock, and if nobody answers, walks away. But Jesus is like, no, this is my house, gosh darn it, I'm going to climb in the window if I have to. <laughs> um that is something about the re- relentlessness uh, of Jesus uh, that that uh, 
Jesus and the, the, the God to whom he bears witness doesn't just give up on us when we say, no thanks, God. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm honest, like a lot of my life is saying, no thanks, God. I know you, know, you want me to love my neighbor. Nah, I'd really rather be selfish, God. Or no, you want me to take this time on this thing. Nah, I'd really rather do this. And that God doesn't give up on me and that God doesn't give up on the world. There's something beautiful about that. And also that God reserves the right to interrupt our expectations that, that I, I really find powerful about um, that hymn and, and about... Um, that, that imagery that it draws from. So that's what I wanted to tell you about these two hymns. Thank you. So next time, we hope you'll listen uh, as we open up our hymnals to some other Advent hymns, and uh, we'll enjoy conversation next time around here on Crazy Faith Talk. Thanks, everybody. See you. Bye. Ya.